section out if you want, but I'd love if anyone has any thoughts that they've come down on. For me, uh, I started reading uh, after our reading yesterday. I picked up uh, Cannibal Metaphysics, which is a... Yes, yes, my friend. Are you going to Oh, it's such a, it's, I haven't read it in quite some time. I bought it when it first was published, but uh, a lot more of it, I'm able to start grasping. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like, uh, so I just want to start really by saying thank all of you guys for helping me get a better grasp of a lot of these uh, subjects, objects, partial objects, partial and partial uh, across the th- whole thing. So yeah if i can say something on this for the other people here um this is this is a book by uh, vivero de castro and um it's it's how it's probably like what i consider the best like uh entering of deleuze in anthropology there's been other attempts but uh you know we talk about ontologies more and different perspectives and we're not worldviews because you know there's a there's a tentative in anthropology to move away from the division between culture and nature. So, you know, we try to move from social anthropology to a more ontological type of, uh, of anthropology. So it's, uh, it's a milestone and it started what, uh, well, it did not start, but contributed a lot to what we consider to be the ontological turn in anthropology. There's many debates there, and you know people tend to call us conservative or reactionaries or you know other bad words. But um, yeah, I think it opens a, a, a Pandora's box that uh, we didn't want to open for a long time. So, and it, and it, and it I does. think it's really cri- it's really critical and really political in my view because it switches around from you know the colonizer's point of view on the other to the point of view of of the other on the colonizer. It's um, it's an excellent read. I enjoy it because the critiques it has and a lot of the things it talks about are things that we've gone over a number of times. And uh, he's the writer's very open about some of that uh, sort of noble savage mentality that Deleuze had and instead really encourages people to uh, sort of think through how Deleuzean thought can be uh, used when talking about anthropology as we know it now, because there's been 30 years, and he he, he has an entire chapter on uh, all the people who've sort of come since and all the different divergent bits of thinking, and he includes Latour in there, of course, uh, but it's 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 a really excellent read. Uh, so I would just wanted to just take a moment and recommend that. But for now. Let's go ahead and, uh, I guess, dive in. Uh, Roger, we will work on your mic at some point soon because you are leveling in a really bad place and it's hurting my ears. So if you have another microphone, that would be wonderful. But you are flattening uh, your your vocal curve. It's really bad. And it will not be good on the recording. I'm going to have to edit all of this out. So letting you know. If you have another mic, that'd be great. All right, to continue. What complicates everything, aside from Deleuze and Guattari's writing, obviously, what complicates everything is that there is indeed a necessity for desiring production to be induced from representation, to be discovered through its lines of escape. But this is true in a way altogether different from what psychoanalysis believes it to be. The decoded flows of desire form the free energy, libido, of the desiring machines. 
the desiring machines take form and train their sights along a tangent of deterritorialization that traverses the representative spheres that runs along the body without organs, leaving escaping but while causing more escapes. The desiring machines themselves are the flows skizzes or the brakes flows that break and flow at the same time on the body without organs, not the gaping wound presented in castration, but the myriad little connections, disjunctions, and conjunctions by which every machine produces a flow in relation to another that breaks it and breaks a flow that another produces. But how would these decoded and deterritorialized flows of desiring production keep from being reduced to some representative territoriality? How would they keep from forming for themselves yet another such territory, even if on the body without organs, as the indifferent support for a last representation? Even those who are best at leaving, those who make leaving representation, even those, uh, no, sorry, uh, even those who are best at leaving, those who make leaving into something as natural as being born or dying, those who set out in search of non-human sex, Lawrence, Miller, stake out a far-off territoriality that still forms an anthropomorphic and phallic representation, the Orient, Mexico, or Peru. Even the schizo's stroll or voyage does not affect great deterritorializations without barring from territorial circuits. The tottering walk of Malloy and his bicycle preserves the mother's room as the vestige of the goal. <clears throat> the vacillating spirals of the unnameable keep the familial tower as an uncertain center where it continues to turn while treating its own underfoot, treading its own underfoot. The infinite series of juxtaposed and unlocalized parks in Watt still contain a reference to Mr. Knott's house, the only one capable of pushing the soul out of doors, but also of summoning it back to place. We are all little dogs. We need circuits. We need to be taken for walks. Even those best able to disconnect, to unplug themselves, entering connections with desiring machines that reform little earths. Even Gisela Pankow's great, de great deterritorialized subjects are led to discover the image of a family castle under the roots of the uprooted tree that crosses through their body without organs. And as you can see, this is why I was talking about the extreme need for us to have a handful of people who are, uh, I would say, probably deeper read into psychoanalysis than I am. I have a cursory, decent understanding of Lacan, little of Freud, and I don't have any of Pankow or any of these others that he's talking about. Um, so it's a, it's a troublesome chapter for me. I spent time Googling and went, oh, great. This is all stuff that's things I will never be able to grasp fully or have time to read. So that's me. I was wondering in what way. Yes. I have no answer to the question. I was wondering what? That's it. Uh, in what way? In what way are you asking me or are you asking the text? <laughs> the text doesn't really give an answer, I think. Like, well, it does because we have this one Miller quote earlier. But. Um, they just say that here, right? And I think they actually said it before, like Lawrence and Miller look for the non-human sex. They do, and I'm actually... So, let's try to digest this paragraph. 
we are going to go through this. So one of the things I like about this paragraph is uh, early on, um, where they talk about very specifically how kind of the mapping of um, desiring machines work, uh, what feeds them and kind of really building that out. Usually they are a lot more uh, sort of talking around the subject. So to say decoded flows of desire form the libido, that's a very specific statement. I think we've been multiple times we've had discussions around what libido really means in a lot of their text and it does vary but specifically they're talking about the decoded flows of desire here form the energy that powers desiring machines these then take form and they train their sights along the line of deterritorialization that traverses representative spheres as representation exists desire sits on the edge of them and runs along the body without organs that way they leave escape constantly but enable others to escape as they go. They create break flows. They create breaks in the flows that exist already, and they create flows that are to be broken by other desiring machines uh, within that free energy libido. That mapping uh, is great to me. No? Yeah, I read that from the perspective of like, so like in, in relatives, let's say a representation um, or like just with decoded flows themselves, right? Just like Brooks is saying, this is kind of how it flows. Um, and it reinforces their point that desire knows no representation, right? That's, um, that, the un that the unconscious and the libidinal flows and desire and production isn't necessarily taking all of its cues from, um, from a representation. Yes. Actually, they effectively are powering them and sitting along the edges of the representations. And, and I think that's why they're using the word escape here, because from the standpoint of a representation, it would appear to be an escape. But obviously, like the, the inverse is kind of the point, right? Like there, there's no true escape because desire is not necessarily bound up in this until such a time that a representation triangulates. Right? Whereas with psychoanalysis, if you believe representation is essentially bedrock and below that is the real, which is kind of Lacanian thought, uh, anything that exists outside of that is escaping that and is the sort of scary shit, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, exactly. With Deleuze and Guattari, you get the complete reverse. There's the real that escapes the representation and the representation is what I was talking about yesterday, like... Uh, uh, a circuit of pipes that organizes the flow of desire but the pipes could be or organized reorganized and disorganized in many ways they can they they actually break the flow but we could break the pipe to unleash the flow as well so this it, it always goes two ways yeah because the pipe doesn't think right so the per perspective again the pipe doesn't think of itself as a pipe but the way desire connects things and allows things to break and connect that's how pipes start doing things, oh. just like with the breast and the baby's mouth. Yeah, because the the representation is is not. What I think pipe is like a correct, but also an incorrect um, metaphor for this. But a representation is is just not something that is you know singular because you it's always something that is shared collectively. So that's why it hardens. You know, a, a representation is, is is something that as artifacts because it's shared between people and it's because of communication people will agree on this and they will agree on the representation more than the thing it refers to yeah and to make a quick point here um so to connect this back with the context of the previous paragraph and where we left off yesterday 
Right, so this is their point about schizoanalysis and the unconscious not being a question of interpretation or theater. Right, this is what they're talking about when they say getting beyond the structure and getting into production. So it's not interpretation because like like we're saying here, the pipe doesn't reference the representation when um when water's flowing through, right? Desire and production is happening in these sort of micro interactions. Love all of this. Now, I'm going to get to where this is fun. <clears throat> now, they immediately then go into talking about a lot of different writing. Some of this I know. Uh, uh, the unnameable, uh, the tottering walk of Malloy is Malloy. This is Samuel Beckett. Uh, we, they've actually talked about this book trilogy specifically before a couple times, uh, very early in the in the in the text. But this one they refer uh, multiple times. Lawrence and Miller and their far-off territoriality that still forms anthropomorphic and phallic, phallic representations in the Orient, Mexico, or Peru. I don't have a place in my brain that's attaching. Obviously, I know the writers. I don't know the writings. I know of them. Does anyone want to jump in? Perhaps someone from our lit group, <laughs> Jack. <laughs> So, a bottle here. <laughs> Go ahead, Lou. <laughs> I, I don't have any answers, but I'm I'm I may be able to um make the question more precise. Like um I've read some Miller. I've probably not read what they are uh, referring to, and that's kind of the question. What what can we somehow find out what writings of Miller they are actually referring to? Like, I've read both um, uh, Tropics and I've read some short story stuff and stuff. I haven't read um, Sexus, Plexus, Nexus. So, so I have not read Miller and Lawrence, but if I look, if I read this sentence closely, even those who are best at so-called leaving, those who make leaving the something as natural as being born or dying, so, right, like already this is exactly what they're talking about with Beckett and Malone, right? Or Malone and um, the schizophrenic walk. It's like Malone is leaving representations and going out into nature where natural connections. Although I, I hate to naturalize this because I don't think that's their point, but the, the, there's no representation guiding Malone's connections. These things are happening on their own. And I think that's probably more accurate saying it. So then they, they, then they make a comma, right? We're, we're gonna stop Those... there because I'm gonna I I want to dive in. Sorry. Uh, okay, so let's talk about um, Malloy and his bike, and talk about what they mean here specifically. Because I think we can go back and it's worth discussing Miller and Lawrence and Tropic of Cancer, uh, Tropic of Capricorn and his other books. But I I think I'm I don't understand how these things connect directly to. Uh, what leaving means so for can, Malloy, can, I, can i can i clarify before we go if if we can yeah i'm, I'm trying to understand okay. the one about because it's the only book i actually know and can actually attach to okay so when they say even those who are best at leaving so and then a little bit more they say the search of non-human sex if we remember what we said yesterday non-human sex is the imaginary 
leaving is to leave in the imaginary you know it's a, to imagine you know being into another place so there's a whole speciality of existence that is being uh, that is uh, going through all these authors i don't know the books but from what i read you know it's the imagination of traveling imagination of moving imagination of like being elsewhere so i think it's like as simple as this and then, you know, from this little cue of the, the link between existence and the imaginary and how the imaginary can produce forms of existence, we can probably go further into this. Right. And if we walk that out a little bit, I, I, I can never speak to the communism, but it looks like the second half of that sentence stake out a far off territoriality that still forms an anthropomorphic and phallic representation, the Orient, Mexico, or Peru. So their point is that Lawrence Miller and, and authors who look to f- sort of foreign countries for like this last territoriality, who are searching for the non-human sets, still end up dealing with the anthropocentric representation, right? So the easy way to say this is like Deleuze and Guadri are trying to deal with a non-anthropocentric understanding of the libido, right? And so it looks to me like what they're getting at is like these authors who seem to be showing us how um, how desire in that escapes from the representation. The trouble with that is they seem to come right back to the representation again. Okay. Yes. Because so I'm going to... Just, just a I'm little gonna... bit, just a little bit more, please. Ah, you uh, bastard. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is anthropology, you know, like <laughs> this is where I can say something. Uh, but it's, you know, the, the West uh, perceive itself as being the universal. So because it's being... Um, it places itself as the universal, it kind of disappears. So, but what they're trying, they, they, what they do is that they, they, they recognize that they're not the universal and they try to see in the particular and the other that, you know, what, what could be possible there, but to actually call the other is to actually place a representation, you know, to talk about the, the Orient, um, it's to put it in relation with Occident you know, the, uh, the West. So it's the, the East versus the West, but the East would be the negative or the, the in, uh, inverse mirror version of the West. So ontologically, there's a trans, not a translation, but a transportation of our own ontology onto the other. And that's where it starts. It's the ontological framework that is being displaced on the other that forces a really particular understanding so that's that's what they're they're saying they you know the anthropomorphic but phallic representation it's to actually put our dicks and like put it onto the other people saying oh they're you know they're like us or the mechanism the structural mechanism must be like us yeah i think that's dead on and it also suggests i'm gonna i'm gonna try to reset back so i can understand it but i'm also having so okay a couple issues one is uh let's take I don't know what books they're representing here, and I don't have the. I haven't read a lot of Miller. I'm with Lou on this one. I've read The Tropics. Uh, that's it. They take place in what the West, and in, in hyper uh, fucking Western uh, American Br- Brooklyn, like Paris, like these cities that are not the Orient, Mexico, or Peru. I don't know what they're talking about. But if what you're talking about is uh, uh, the idea that leaving by stepping outside of what is supposed to be Western norms, uh, it turns out they've actually taken them with them. Uh, 
there's a couple of things that come to mind. The first is a great line. I, I'm a big Millennium fan. Frank Black, Chris Carter from the X-Files made it. Um, and there's a scene where uh, Frank Black, who has this innate ability to understand murderers, um, and uh, he's helping a new guy. And the guy says, I just, every time I get into these guys' heads, uh, it takes me, it, it just flashes awful things. And he goes, you know, you don't get in their heads. Uh, you put them in yours. And it's a really great little line that's kind of about that inversion. And is that essentially kind of what you're saying here? That by them leaving, trying to remove themselves from the territory that they're in, they've actually taken the territory with them at, at and they've actually sort of re sort of brought, you know, all of these things around the libido, desire machines, how they operate. They've brought these things with them. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. So that that's the thing, because um, the representation might might be different, you know, the representation of a bird, of the territory, the sun, whatever else, you know, they represent other things. So if we stick to the epistemological field or plane, uh, we can see all the differences. But the thing is that what we never uh, question is the importation of the ontological. And that's exactly what you're saying. Basically, instead of like being into the other's head, you're bringing the others into your head and you think you're at the, the place of the others, but you're not. It's just like a one of my One of my running sort of uh, hilarious critiques I've had, and it's actually best, I think, summed up by uh, the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune, is that the vast majority of science fiction and fantasy does literally the same thing. We make the assumption that all these fantasy worlds that have fairies and all this entire other existence would have our essentially our ontology would carry over to these absurdly different worlds and Lord of the Rings and all these things very much. I think the best example is Star Trek. Yes. You're always meeting yourself. (laughs) The other is always you, you know, it's a different version of you, but it's always you. Okay. That makes sense. I don't understand the Lawrence and Miller works that apply to that, but I, I like the point now to talk about Malloy, the, what I don't understand how this fits uh, is Malloy at no point is, uh, in, in my understanding, and it's been a while, leaves. Like his world is that of inside of his own head in fantasy. That makes sense. That fits that sort of thing. But he lives in an incredibly banal sort of odd existence of random happenstance. How does this apply? Or maybe I need to go back and reread it. So... Even the schizo stroller voyage does not affect great deterritorializations without borrowing from territorial circuits. So, right, the point is that deterritorialized, um, the deterritorializations are, are here in relation to territorial circuits, right? So ways that desiring production and more particularly libidinal energy here is moving, especially through voluptus, right? Third synthesis. So the example they give to explain this is the first example, at least. The tottering walk of Molloy and his bicycle preserves the mother's room as the vestige of a goal. So the perspective of Molloy here, despite being schizophrenic, right, despite what we've talked about in terms of the schizo stroll throughout the anti-Oedipus, here they are now saying, well, while that is so, there's still the vestige of the, um, or the last resort of, um, of the mother's bedroom, right? So of Oedipus here. If we walk this further, where they finish their examples. They write, we are all little dogs. We need circuits and we need to be taken for walks. 
So their point here is, is basically what you and Roger were just talking about, is like even though Beckett here seems to be avant-garde, he hasn't necessarily completely shattered a representation. It's quite possible that Malone, despite the schizophrenic investment, I here's some music for you, is actually still in connection with the territoriality and the circuit, right? And the point with that is we should not be so quick to think we've broken it. Oh, no, thank you, Jack. I think uh, one of the things you just said, uh, and it's something we've talked about offline, is there is, of course, to this work, there's a timeliness. Samuel Beckett now, going back and reading, uh, doesn't exist on the edges or as someone who's pushing necessarily boundaries. But at the time, absolutely he was. And I've been reading the text or thinking about it from this current timeliness perspective, and that's not... He, he's still avant-garde, but... Uh, I would not ever say he's leaving, or I would not talk about it in the same way. At least Malloy. Malloy is, I don't know, his boring stuff? I, I, to me, it is. To, more, to me, it's his boring stuff. That makes more sense. It's it, he's, he's, he's pushing boundaries and breaking through, but ultimately still containing stuff. And that makes sense, the line about uh, treading uh, underfoot in the unnameable. The familial tower is an uncertain center where it continues to turn while treading its own underfoot. The, the way that the family operates inside of that, killing each other, killing other people. Uh, well, okay. Uh, sorry, Jijik popped into my head. I'm not going to do that to you people today. Yeah, I think that the last two sentences help here a lot. Even those best able to disconnect. So, right, like they're quintessential example of, of Malloy. Even those best able to disconnect, to unplug themselves, enter into connections of desire machines that reform little earths. So we're like another socius or body without organs. Even Gisela Panko's great deterritorialized subjects are led to discover the image of a family castle under the roots of the uprooted tree that crosses through their body without organs. So <clears throat> for, <clears throat> from what I get is to like, you know, it's 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 into the exploration, into the voyage or the traveling or, you know, meeting the other. There's always like a familial figure that we will find onto this and the familial figure proves us that there's a universality but this universality is the ontological reference that we are actually importing into uh, what we find so basically our perception or our experience is not only tainted from what we encounter but what we come with into the situation yeah, because as, as I'm thinking about, there's a way in which the representation can lead to people wanting this this circuitry to want to be walked through this. So like even the people who go this far as like Malloy and um, uh, these authors, there's a way in which even with their point of departure, there's still a way that that fits into the perspective, which here is the, the point of departure of deterritorialization in reference to a territoriality. Thank you. For helping me through that paragraph i got uh, as you can see i rabbit hold a little bit on it as i was reading and so that was not good but thank you any other last comments before i move on no but uh in reading the lore sometimes we don't need to go really deep into to understand what they're saying it's pretty like and other times you it. have to go deeper than ever thought yes also but not not this case <laughs> you just yeah. gotta look for the body without organs right yeah, actually, just get to that point and you're good. 
gonna have to reread Beckett now. All right, to continue. Previously, we distinguished two poles of delirium. One is the molecular schizophrenic line of escape, and the other as the paranoiac molar investment. But the perverted pole is equally opposed to the schizophrenic pole, just as the reconstitution of territorialities is opposed to the movement of deterritorialization. And if perversion, in the narrowest sense of the word, performs a certain very specific type of reterritorialization within the artifice, perversion, in the broad sense, comprises all the types of reterritorializations, not merely artificial, but also exotic, archaic, residual, private, etc. Thus, Oedipus and psychoanalysis as perversion. Even Raymond Roussel's schizophrenic machines turn into perverse machines in the theater representing Africa. What the fuck does that sentence mean? I'm making a note there, sorry. Uh, <laughs> in short, there is no deterritorialization of the flows of schizophrenic desire that is not accompanied by global or local reterritorializations. What is more, the force and the obstinacy of the deterritorialization can only be evaluated through the types of reterritorialization that represent it. The one is the reverse side of the other. Our loves are com complexes of deterritorialization and reterritorialization. What we love is always a certain mulatto, male or female. <sighs> the things that I've now been recorded saying aloud. The movement of deterritorialization can never be grasped in itself. One can only grasp its indices in relation to the territorial representation. Take the example of dreams. Yes, dreams are edible, but this comes as no surprise, since dreams are a perverse reterritorialization in relation to the deterritorialization of sleep and nightmares. But why return to dreams? Why turn to them in the royal road of desire in the unconscious when they are in fact the manifestation of a superego, a super powerful and super archaized ego, the Ur-Sin of the Ur-Stat? Yet at the heart of dreams themselves, as with fantasy and delirium, machines function as indices of deterritorialization. In dreams, there are always machines endowed with the strange property of passing from hand to hand, escaping and causing circulations, carrying and being carried away. The airplane of parental coitus, the father's car, grandmother's sewing machine, little brother's bicycle, all objects of flight and theft, stealing and stealing away. The machine is always infernal in the family dream. The machine introduces light breaks and flows that prevent the dream from being reconfined in its scene and systematized within its representation. It makes the most of an irreducible factor of nonsense, which will develop elsewhere and from without in the conjunctions of the real as such. Psychoanalysis, with its Oedipal stubbornness, has only a dim understanding of this, for one re-territorializes on persons and surroundings, but one de-territorializes on machines. It is, is it Schreber's father who acts through machines, or on the contrary, is it the machines themselves that function through the father? Psychoanalysis settles on the imaginary and structural representatives of reterritorialization, while schizoanalysis follows the machinic indices of deterritorialization. 
The opposition still holds between the neurotic on the couch as an ultimate and sterile land, the last exhausted colony, and the schizo out for a walk in a deterritorialized circuit. The following excerpt from an article by Michel Cournot on Chaplin helps us understand what schizophrenic laughter is, as well as the schizophrenic line of escape or breakthrough. And the, oh, is it, is that a... That's break? a whole other page for me, yeah. It's the a whole other page. page. This is a... That's One another paragraph. paragraph. Where? Uh, the following excerpt is the start of another paragraph. Well, that is not on my PDF. I will stop there. Fucking thank you. I was going to say, stop. this is going to be too much to pick out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in my text. It just keeps going. Jesus Christ. Thank you. Uh, so let's go back. Um, so uh, to recapsulate, because... Uh, they had distinguished between two poles of delirium. One is a molecular schizophrenic line is escaped. The other is paranoiac molar investment. Paranoiac molar investment is effectively the grand narrative stories of life that we tell ourselves that aren't real, that exist on the imaginary level. And the other is the schizophrenic line of escape where we overattach to singular things and we sort of disappear out that way, uh, disconnected from the larger setups. Is that short version? No? Yeah, and if you walk that out, that is the delirium, right? Is that we're constantly seeing these investments of the molar and the molecular, or, or yeah. rather, the molecular investments and the molar, I'm sorry, the molar investments and the molecular connections, this constant like tension between the deterritorializing and reterritorializing at these different levels. Would anyone like to take a crack at the next part where I actually stopped myself? Uh, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with Raymond Rousseau's schizophrenic machines and anything about Africa. Don't have an idea what this sentence means or its connections to anything. Uh, I'm going to guess Roger may have a better line into it. Do you want to try? Uh, I don't remember Raymond Rousseau's stuff. Um, he wrote a book called Impressions of Africa. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's the impressions of Africa. Just, just let's start with the title, you know, because it's the it's the era of colonialism and how we were project, projecting our perversions onto the naked bodies of the other. So basically, you know, we were like, uh, that's before the 70s and that's before the sexual revolution. So there's a whole lot of, you know, fantasies that being are being cast you know it's the time of emmanuel and all those 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 movies and stuff that were like imagining sensuality into the east or africa or whatever else so um basically the the our imagination of the other was a perverse one because it was like a reversal like a we were, we were trying to see them as like a land of freedom and sensuality and all this when in fact you know oh i i i just googled him uh i'm gonna Put a few things. This shit's just racist. Uh, we're just gonna, I'm just gonna stop there. Holy shit. So basically, what he did, Raymond Roussel's uh, schizophrenic machines uh, that he has, his attention to details, turn into perverse machines. They fucking A do. As his theater, which was his book, Impressions of Africa, which basically uh, was him telling lies about things that happen inside of Africa. And here's an image from his book uh, of severed heads and people shouting like this is, you're going to immediately see it and go, oh, so that's what they mean. Uh, I like the gentleman white guy in the corner with the, the turntable and the lawn cigarette holder. 
<laughs> dude, dude, it's hardcore. Like this is some hardcore classic. This is some hardcore old school racism. When I, I saw the cover of the book and I went, oh wait, I'll Google this, and it's it's all pretty hardcore. Yeah, and this is exactly Roger's point, though. Is like, so as I'm reading this, this is a point about methodological, um, the kind of the ontology, kind of the ontological implications of a methodology, right? So, like, what does a methodology do? And in this sense, what they're saying is the methodology of interpretation, right? And here they're pointing directly at psychoanalysis and the theatrical way it does it, um, which they criticize throughout the section. So like in that, right, it's not simply just an interpretation that takes us out of the, um, the world per se, right? The, the, there's a, another point to that, which is, right, so now we're going, again, beyond the structure into the ontological, into the what's produced. So all these these people, in this case, the Africans, they're being re-territorialized by a perverse machine or by an interpretive machine, however you like here. Yes. I, I, I Having now read the a little bit more impressions of Africa and seeing it, it makes a lot more sense what they're talking about here. And then also their shitty comment about the, the love of the mulatto, male or female. We have this love of the other, the, like right now we're talking about them sort of doing almost an auto critique of the idea of the noble savage or any of that as well. Yeah. The, the, the critique of how the, critique of the methodological re-territorialization, right? Because now we're all connecting with the intensities of this, this diagram, right? And that's, this is the re-territorialization, just like Roger was saying, that goes even further to afflict the bodies of the people. It's i I'm reading up on his books and all of it. It's fascinating. He wrote a second book called Locus Solus. That's about these crazy scientists doing all kinds of shit, but he basically just, it's a, it's all insane. Uh, yeah. And if we walk this into the delirium, like, so this is part of the point, right? Is like, there's the schizoph, there are these desiring machines and all this happening, but at the same time, Right, with deterritorialization, right? Because uh, what's his face? Uh, Raymond Rousseau would have. Um, so, right, they, they write even Raymond Rousseau's schizophrenic machines turn into perverse machines in a theater representing Africa. So, like, even with Rousseau going here and this, it could be said that this sort of schizophrenic molecular thing is happening. In fact, it is happening, right? Right, With no, his, his schizophrenic machines, his molecular machines that are his own, where he's talking about these things that didn't exist, he, he may or may not have ever seen, he didn't see, uh, and he's telling them, but because... Uh, he's dealing with this sort of other theater, his personal schizophrenic machines turn into perverse machines while he's in the theater representing Africa because he's in that second sort of other's socius, but really he's bringing his own. Except it's not just his machines, is it? It's it's still the social machines, or at least at this molecular level, it's the social machines, right? Because that's the... why my, I would say that that's what they've, they've talked a lot about the social, the theater being uh, kind of that when they use the term theater and they've talked about in this chapter a few times, uh, why you use the theater, why talk about the theater, it's the plays, it's how we're, you know, the roles were set, blah, 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 totally get that. The, uh, so to me, that's the, what he's talking about is when we're talking about the 
uh, minute details, and he's going over the minute details, when we expand them to something that is more on the molar investments, like a theater representing Africa, they turn into perverse machines at that point. Am I not reading that right? I think mostly, yeah. I mean, all the desiring machines happening at this molecular level, when this guy went to Africa or however it this came about, right? All this stuff that's happening that gets interpreted in this way. And that's the trick, right? Is the psychoanalytic interpretation or this guy's interpretation more directly places it on the molecular stage of representation. And in doing so, the deterritoriality is now, right? And here's your re-territorialization. And that's part of the delirium. Actually, that makes a lot more sense. And so when they go on to say our loves are complexes of deterritorialization and reterritorialization, uh, what we love is always a certain person. The movement of deterritorialization can never be grasped in itself. One can only grasp its indices in relation to the territorial representations. But those are molar, not molecular. I, I'm having a tough time grasping this because it's the... The question I'm having then is, uh, when they say, in short, there's no deterritorialization of flows of schizophrenic desire that is not accompanied by global or local reterritorializations that always reconstitute shores of representation. So I have my uh, libido, libidinal desire power that is powering my schizophrenic machines at a molecular level inside of my unconscious. They're producing, they're making breaks, they're breaking fl others' flows, they're going, they're doing their shit. Uh, at some point, uh, they actually, they're on the edge deterritorializing. They, they reach the edge of representation. In those moments of deterritorialization, in one hand, on the other hand, we have re-territorialization that's happening, but those things are happening at global or local levels, which is more molar. And because of that, that's where that reconstitution of uh, representation space Basically, desiring machines are always sitting at the edge, right on the edge. And as we go, as they go, they're carving into the body without organs. All of the people, they're writing on the everything that's happening. Or am I just talking nonsense at this point, which kind of I could be if I didn't know that these words were related to things. I'm editing all of the silence out, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a bit of a tough point, but yeah. I mean, the sentence that helps me is psychoanalysis with Oedipal stubbornness has only a dim understanding of this. For one re-territorializes in persons and surroundings, but one deterritorializes on machines. Uh, is it Schreber's father who acts through machines? Or on the contrary, is it the machines themselves that function through the father? Right, and I think this gets at what you're talking about, Brooks, because, right, like, it's not simply uh, Rousseau who's doing this, right? The, 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 the machinic in that, even with this molecular level, right? The way these relate to each other is that, um, kind of like you were saying, there's this deterritorializing happening at the molecular, but at the molar, it's being re-territorialized, and this is part of the social investments. This is part of the um, the social machines themselves, and in this way, this is kind of how we can, like, I think, a problem of representations of representations. Now you've got another turn of the screw with like Rousseau and, and, and others, right? Now they're taking this, these social machines and they're pushing it even further into an, a theater so as to play out a representation, right? And so this is very much like getting at that methodological critique because with this re-territorialization, a lot is produced that not only contributes to the delirium, right, and is born of the delirium, but 
now these are new territorialities that are here and that will be, you know, that can be connected with. Right. However, one thing to add in there, all of that I agree with, but the representation they specifically say exists at this point of uh, re-territorialization. Uh, re-territorializations that always reconstitute shores of representation. That that place where this re-territorialization, deterritorialization is happening, which happens on the edge of uh, representation, uh, that's actually what creates representation, essentially, is that's the moment that happens. Representation is always happening in a social machine, I guess, is, is, is the Repres thing I'm gathering from that. Representations can be and maybe will be reproduced. Oh, Brutz, if you're talking right now, we lost you. I'm not, I'm not talking. I'm incredibly silent. So I'm thinking about in terms of like production and reproduction, right? So Roger, representations Lou. can be reproduced. Roger, Lou, Ken, Eris, Bo. Uh, I've lost a little of the discussion because my neighbor came around and I had to talk to her. Um... We're, we're talking about specifically the sentence around representing Africa, and then the following one, where they say, in short, there's no deterritorialization of the flows of schizophrenic desire that is not accompanied by global or local reterritorializations. And I'm combining that with the previous paragraph where they outlined literally where, how these operate. Uh, desiring machines take form after being basically created by decoded flows of desire. Uh, they form the free energy of the desiring machines. The desiring machines then take form, train their sites along the of deterritorialization that traverses representative spheres and that runs along the body without organs, that thing that is constantly riding on it. Okay. okay. In short, to combine those two, though, uh, there's no deterritorialization of the flows of schizophrenic desire that is not accompanied by global or local reterritorializations. This would imply to me that because the deterritorializations are happening on the edge of representation, that only within social machines is the re-territorialization of representation possible. Um, yeah, that's a that's a way to say it. But um, in Thousand Plateau, we'll, we'll see like another day and probably in another year. Uh, there's there's always three components. There's the material, the social, and the discursive. Um, so the the discursive is where the representation finds itself. You know the. The plane of expression, but expression yes. can be the expression of the social, the expression of the material that is non-discursive. But uh, at the discursive level, this is where you find the representations. At the two other level, you know, uh, they're not there. But if you ch make changes in the world and the machines start functioning in the process and um, they induce transformation, you cannot really see the process in itself. The only thing you can see is how the machines are being reinscribed or reinscribed themselves. Oh, right. So that's uh, Hegel's line. Uh, the only time we know change has happened is when we can see that it's happened in the past, essentially something like that. Yes. So it's it's the same thing. But that, that's always a struggle of using a non-dialectical kind of verbiage. And because if we would say, oh, it's a dialectic, you know, it's easier because you have lines and, you know, it's a more like a binary kind of movement. But in their in their language uh, is to say that you cannot see the process in itself. You can see only see the transformation into either uh, the things or their expression. So 
uh, and uh, I will echo Lou here. This is this is straight out of Bergsonianism, like this is Bergsonism. Um, this is 100% that. It, it's it's about becoming. It's about the the continuous state of everything always becoming. Um, and that's the thing. If when I, when they talk about Trevor's father who acts through machines, so basically there's the subject that is acting, that is like engaging in the process through things, or is it on the contrary, the things that are acting through the subject in the process, and so there's always like. Um, this this highly paranoiac subject that is doing everything or on the reverse is as you connect to a machine the machine acts on you it acts back and it's the assemblage of the subject in the machine that actually um, produces a new real or a new territoriality okay then to move into dreams they say uh they had basically that dreams allow us to play with the schizophrenic because the machine introduces breaks and flows we see representations that are uh sort of unconnected even though they are connected uh for one re-territorializes on persons and surroundings one de-territorializes on machines uh, they they name a bunch of them the airplane of print is the father's car shit you see in a dream that's never quite the thing it's always that weirdness um the machine is always infernal, always in the family dream. I am not following this at all in how it applies to what we're talking about. Take the example of dreams. Yes, dreams are edible. And this comes as no surprise, since dreams are a perverse re-territorialization in relation to the deterritorializing of sleep and nightmares. So, right, like, this is another... This is why I say this is very much like a methodological critique, because, like... What's happening in the dreams is deterritorializing uh, type, uh, deterritorialization. But when we go to when we start dealing with dreams, uh, right? It's, of course, they're going to be edible because we start dealing with representations. So it's it's a reterritorializing of dreams, despite the deterritorialization that occurs. Yeah, but at the same time, like you just you just put them into the Oedipal complex or the the Oedipal framework by saying that they are representation. What if dreams are not representation? What if dreams are like autonomous things that are not representation in themselves but uh, sense producing? The, exactly. the nonsense producing thing echoes as something that's from a logic of sense and a lot of other Deleuze's writing on kind of the paradoxes of sense and how perception works in those ways, which I think is great. And that is something I think I can read into and spend some time on and I'll be able to come to. Is that generally what we're talking about here? So I can have stuff to read. Yeah, if you move to that sentence, psychoanalysis with its idle stubbornness has only a dim understanding of this. For one, re-territorializes on persons and surroundings. For one, deterritorializes on machines, right? So everything happening in the dream is happening with the, the, the deterritorialization, right? In reference to, like, a, say, a subject. But um, in terms of people and surroundings, right, bodies and, and what's um, the sort of molecular level, there's a way in which all that is re-territorialized, which is what they're talking about with dreams, right? When we go to to analyze dreams, there's a re-territorialization happening during the analysis, and that can give way to an Oedipal um, perversion. Uh, I am going to spend a little bit of time reading a thing. Uh, so 
Uh, we will come back to that at some point. Um, is it okay if I move on to the supposed next paragraph, or does anyone have any last thoughts or comments to give on this one? Um, when they say that uh, the neurotic on the couch into the process of the, not into the process, but being like uh, the object of the psychoanalyst, um, it's uh, an ultimate and sterile land. So basically it's a surface of inscription. So we're, we're this, there's processes that are happening into that body and you know that person is retelling dreams like oh you know there was the there was the car and my grandfather was there and then my mother came in and you know my but the thing is that it just that those are processes just just a man and processes and like the imagination and how it produces you know stuff that doesn't need to be connected but the psychoanalysis will frame this attributing representation so basically um it puts the dream into uh, it's like it's like putting uh um, cooking batter into a mold you know that's that's the process the cooking batter can like be cooking batter and like produce any form but the thing is if you put it into a mold it will produce a certain form and the role of the psychoanalysis is to produce a certain form that it will inscribe on the subject yeah okay i can get that all right to continue the following excerpt from an article by michelle corneau on chaplin helps us understand what schizophrenic laughter is as well as the schizophrenic line of escape or breakthrough and the process as deterritorialization with its machinic indices to quote the moment Charlie Chaplin makes the board fall in a second, a second time on his head, a psychotic gesture, he provokes the spectator's laughter. Yes, but what laughter is this and what spectator? For example, the question no longer applies at all at this point in the film, of knowing whether the spectator must see the accident coming or be surprised by it. It is as though the spectator at that very moment, we're no longer in a seat. We're no longer in a position to observe things, a kind of, perceptive gymnastics has led him progressively not to identify with the character of modern times, but to experience so directly the resistance of the events that he accompanies this character, has the same surprises, the same premonitions, the same habits as he. Thus, it is the famous it is that the famous eating machine, which in a sense by its excess is foreign to the film, Chaplin had invented it 22 years before, is merely the formal absolute exercise that prepares for the conduct, also psychotic, of the worker trapped in the machine, with only his upside down head sticking out, and who has Chaplin feed him his lunch, since it is lunchtime. If laughter is a reaction that takes certain circuits it can be said that charlie chaplin as the film's sequences unfold progressively displaces the reactions causes them to recede level by level until the moment when the spectator is no longer master of his own circuits and tends to spontaneously take either a shorter path which is not possible which is barred or else a path that is very explicitly posted as leading nowhere after having suppressed the spectator as such Chaplin perverts the laughter, which comes to be like so many short circuits of a disconnected piece of machinery. Critics have occasionally spoken of the pessimism of modern times and of the optimism of the final image. Neither term suits the film. Charlie Chaplin in modern times sketches rather on a very small scale with a precise stroke, the finished design of several oppressive and fundamental manifestations. 
the leading character, played by Champlin, has to be neither active nor passive, neither consenting nor subordinate, since he is the pencil point that traces the design. He is the stroke itself. That is why the final image is without optimism. One does not see what optimism would be doing at the conclusion of this statement. This man and this woman seen from the back, all black, whose shadows are not projected by any sun, advance towards nothing. The wireless telegraph poles that run along the left side of the road, the barren trees that dot the right side, do not meet at the horizon. There is no horizon. The bald hills facing the spectator only form a line that merges with a void hanging over them. Anyone can see that this man and this woman are no longer alive. There's no pessimism here either. What had to happen, happened. They did not kill each other. They were not brought down by police, and it will not be necessary to go looking for the alibi of an accident. Charlie Chaplin did not dwell on this. He went quickly, as usual. He traced the finished design. Um, I, I'm a huge Charlie Chaplin fan, and... Uh, oh, perfect. We have a, if you haven't seen sort of the ending of Modern Times or what they're talking about, it is uh, Chaplin basically playing with what was to becoming the world of machines and the absurdity of that. Um, I don't know if we got to be like Chaplin, but the film is uh, so multi-level it's ridiculous. But at the same time, okay, let, let's put the film, the film as a representation, okay? Let's put the, let, let's, let's use the same process to understand what's going on there. So there are changes in the world at this moment, in the moment of industrialization. Uh, they are deterritorialization and re-territorialization through the machines. So subjects are being product of a whole... Um, Machinic apparatus, you know, like when I say machines, really like steel, gas, and like uh, all that stuff. And it, so basically, the the film is the imaginary trying to catch this process. So it inscribes part of uh, the process as moments, as events. When they, when they say that, you know, um, he, I don't I don't remember like what they say correctly. Um, that he takes like takes part uh, takes those events and put it into little parts in the movie and how the subject going through it all is actually the line of flight that is going through this machinic reassemblage so it's that that's an interesting um, uh, I, I I totally have a different take I love it really okay that's good that's good um, so modern times uh, in all of my viewings, and I love this movie and I love Chaplin. Uh, and it's, it's, I'm not saying there is only one reading of modern times. It's a very perspective based thing. Um, very much so. But there is a, in, the film to me is about inevitability almost, not to a good or a bad ending, but Chaplin's character at almost no point has agency that we're able to see. Um, he, in, in this, as I was reading this, what I was seeing in my head as Chaplin's going through everything is that he is a bit of, uh, the, if we want to talk about the machines that he is a part of and traveling through, he's a bit of the libido through the entire thing. That his, his energies, and he powers many of the machines himself, he turns them on, he does that, but at no point is there a moment where he's not moving things forward. 
Uh, so to me, when we're talking about modern times, we're talking about the happy or sad ending or whatever it may be, which I don't think it's happy or sad. I agree with this take. Um, what we're talking about is the machines that we are a part of that exist pre-subject uh, being formed, pre-individual. And basically, we witness in modern times the pre-individual until he comes out the other end where we don't know whether or not he's happy or not, but he has found a woman that he apparently is quite happy with, and he's charging ahead to the next thing. Uh, I don't see like how different that is, but uh, well, maybe I'm it, maybe maybe I just understood. Um, yeah, but like okay, like okay, so like let's take this final moment. You know, there's the machine machinic assemblage. The subject, you know, is being informed or produced by this pretty individual, like meta machine that is going on so he goes through all of this but he's being reiteralized into the familial and into um the uh, the idea of the family at the end it's the family that actually like you know goes on so he finds he finds himself into some essential form of being in the world that is like pretty western and uh you know heterosexual whatever else but the, that that's what the, 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 the ending leads, you know? All of this for that. Sort of. The the thing that happens right before the ending. So they, they jump right to this. This thing skips over uh, sort of the final scene where, and I shouldn't have said the entire thing is about inevitability. Uh, and so I'm kind of having a... In my head, I'm I, I, I should rewatch this before I should discuss heavily. But there's a final scene where he's performing. And... Uh, he's on stage and he's doing his thing and it's like a uh, it's a really odd situation because uh, it's the first time that he's not having the machine that he's sort of a part of that he's being either moved in and out of the gears or is utilizing him to feed him just going in and out he actually improvises he does shit off the top of his head or it seems to be off the top of his head it's, it's, that's the implication um, and he does great uh, everything sort of leads up to this moment where almost the the machine breaks, and that's that's kind of the thing that ha I think if I remember right, literally, uh, the yeah his he had his the lyrics of the song he was gonna sing, uh, like the words were written on something that broke, so like the machine breaks and in that moment he's actually able to do a thing that people like and everyone's happy with, and lead him to this final moment uh and so it's kind of that that moment of uh uh i don't know freedom uh in in the world of uh, anti-oedipus i think it wouldn't be terrible to say that uh he moved beyond uh representation I mean, for sure. I think most of the words he says is not. Yeah, that's the Lou's got it. That's the scene. He makes an ass out of himself and he bullshits the entire thing. I think he makes words up. I feel like he makes words up. Like, I think he's just blathering. And so there's a non-representation to that final moment that I that I almost want to say they've that this analysis misses that almost feels like it's almost schizo entirely as he's moved to a point where he's able to be free and nomadic almost sorry I'm rambling it's 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 an amazing uh I'm just having moments of the film pop back in my head so just with the dancing there's a tension here right there's a representation of dance 
right? And there's also a deterritorialization happening, right? Chaplin is very obviously dancing, and yet at the same time, the representation is sort of... And this is, I think, what they're talking about. There's like a tension here between this. Is he dancing or is he is he not dancing, right? And more directly, how is this being produced? And I think that's kind of what this article is getting at, is like with the schizophrenic laughter and the schizophrenic deterritorialization, like there is a production here that is very much not... It has an eradicated uh, representation here, but in a sense it's turned it on its head, hasn't it? So it's, and I want to make sure because uh, thank you, Lou. I, I, while you were talking, I was Googling. They called it the nonsense dance on, on YouTube. And I think that's what Charlie Chaplin called it. It's literally the existence of nonsense. He has uh, the words written on his cuff. Thank you so much, Lou, for reminding me of all this. Cause I think actually my point is incredibly spot on. Uh, he rehearses, he's practicing the machine. He's part of it. And that's the implication I always took is that he's a factory worker. He's the fucking lumpen proletariat and he's part of the machine he has no choice and even in performance in his final dances he is absolutely continuing to be just a cog inside of that and then in the moment of emancipation when his cuffs which is where the lyrics are written down his cuffs are destroyed not exactly a difficult allusion to handcuffs which he's in like six times inside of the movie the cuffs disappear and so he no longer has the lyrics and he doesn't know what to do and he seizes up and then he blah 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 makes an he starts making an ass of himself in like foreign languages nonsense and it's fucking amazing it's genuinely fucking amazing it's worth watching the whole thing that feels like the explosion of libidinal energy sort of at its source uh, upon being freed and it's a positive ending like the film is, is positive I've decided it's a positive happy ending I know the cops show up again and they're running from the police effectively, but who cares? Now I have to watch Modern Times again. Sorry, I'm really rambling and you're just stuck listening to my shit, but... You're also the only one who's seen the movie, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It stands up. But I, I think that's kind of what the, the... this. So obviously this excerpt is supposed to demonstrate to us like their larger argument, right? Like it's seems like this is supposed to be in some ways a case in point. And so like the part that really sticks out to me is um, if laughter is a reaction that takes certain circuits, so we already saw how this was happening with representation. If laughter is a reaction that takes certain circuits, it can be said that Charlie Chaplin, as the film sequences unfold, progressively displaces the reactions, causes them to recede level by level. So rather like he's unfurling the representation here or more particularly like how you think you're supposed to watch a movie right it's it's sort of attacking the diagram in a sense he plays um, inside of it when he's when he's in the let's just a really quick when he's uh, being fed by the food machine which is a great scene uh and insane but when he's being fed by it and everything's going wrong they're right here because as the audience you you aren't watching some guy do this thing like that's that's what you're actually doing like at a concrete level yes i'm watching charlie chaplin have pie slathered across his face and have food mashed in and not eat cor correctly but the emotions i'm feeling what i'm doing is i there is an uneasy i join him you absolutely join him as you go 
Exactly. And I think that's exactly it is the representation here is falling away um, such that like the, the, the role of the spectator is being displaced, right? So it's similar to the, another way of saying it in like a Barthian sense is the death of the spectator. Uh, so the continuum tends to spontaneously take either a shorter path, which is not passable, which is barred, or else a path that is a very, it's very explicitly posted as leading nowhere. Right. So like, yeah, there you go, Lou. You're, you're like on the money with this stuff, right? Like <laughs> this stuff coming together in that there's a way in which like a representation still seems referential. Yeah. But that's the point, right? Is with that re-territorialization, there's simultaneously this de-territorialization that 100% I think the is the case. Uh, the, the, when he's doing that crazy dance that you guys had the gif of earlier, he's making, he's run, walking around, his cuffs uh, fly off of him. Uh, now I'm overanalyzing the scene to some point, but like he literally during the dance, the cuffs fly off and it's this, and it's instantaneous and it's something you as the audience notice far before he does. Uh, and it's a grand gesture. It's a really well filmed, really well choreographed thought through moment, especially for this early in cinema, but you absolutely are there the moment and you feel dread. It's, it's, you're absolutely along for that ride. And the unease, especially as he realizes his cuffs are gone. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if we go back to the point about methodology, like, their point seems to be here that, so there, I, I think the point about there not being a horizon, there not being an optimism or pessimism at the end, is the point that Chaplin here is doing something, I think, that's more directly, like, comparable with schizoanalysis, I suspect, in the sense that he's tracing what's happening, where they write down, and it will not be necessarily to go looking for the alibi of an accident for someone to explain to you the interpretation, right? Charlie Ch Charles Chaplin did not dwell on this. He went quickly, as usual. He traced the finished design. That tracing, I think, is getting more directly at a methodological question for schizoanalysis and distinction from psychoanalysis. It won't be necessary to go looking for the alibi of the accident. The, the machine's done. There's no interpretant, right? There's The spectator has been displaced. Yes, <laughs> completely, completely displaced. If there's an ending. Jesus. There's an ending, and yet there isn't an ending, because yes. it's not teleological in that way, right? <laughs> no, it, sim it simply closes out. I don't, I, the, exactly. the wording's difficult, but yeah, it simply closes out, which it does. I, I think the the proper term, both filmologically and Delusian even perhaps is, uh, it cuts, it breaks. I really, I, I absolutely love this. All right, uh, any last comments, uh, aside from we should probably uh, watch Modern Times this week? I'd love to do that. I will set up a time for us to do a Modern Times viewing. Uh, probably Friday night, get some popcorn. Sure. And I will do something, I will say something that I say a lot. Uh, that is uh, probably one of the perversions of the academics. They prefer to do uh, movie analysis and literature analysis instead of doing uh, real world analysis. And, you know, we just caught into this trap right now. Uh, in the sense, for example, what we see instead, uh, there's always like... Um, 
the current analysis right now are saying, you know, we can see patriarchy, or we can see ableism, we can see society, like the capitalist society in the novel of this person or the movie of this person. And they, they always talk about representations. And I think there's a, uh, there's a fascination with works of art and we tend to analyze the real through works of art as representation of the real. But at the same time, uh, what Deleuze, Deleuze uses that uh, that example of uh, Chaplin, but at the same time, um, I think that the main purpose is actually go in the world and do that kind of schizoanalysis into the world and not of uh, cultural productions. Yeah, I think one of the ways we can see that is where how they explain the celibate machine, right? It's they, they, they say very clearly, right? It's Kafka's um, penal machine, right? So it's a different way of engaging literature, like like Roger's saying, instead of looking for the story that explains everything and trying to fit reality into the story, the Deleuze and Guadari's move seems to be a different way of connecting literature with what's going on, as opposed to like, oh yeah, Hard Times, that's obviously a, a biography of the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> Yeah, I think the basic point is it's a schematic. You know, it's about it's not about what does modern times mean. They're as usual. They're just pointing to the figure that Chaplin rep, not represents. I was about to say the figure that Chaplin is in this movie and what he does. And it seems pretty clear to me that at the end of that paragraph, they're saying we need to do as this character does. We need to go directly by the finished design. It's uh, less what the representation is and more uh, understanding that the audience member is as much a character and as much involved in the film as anything else. And they're all existence. Yeah, and it's Charles Chaplin, right? So we can talk about like the character in that, but also the guy who made the movie. Yeah, because that to me is part of the methodological critique here is like his methodology of the movie kind of like to Roger's point, like I don't think he's trying to represent um, reality per se even though it ends up connecting with a reality, uh, connecting with a representation, right? It's still, there's still this deterritorialization happening there. Because I think that's what he traces is this, this tension, this delirium, this tension between the representation and the deterritorialization between the two. All right. Uh, should I move on to the next paragraph or should we continue discussion? Because I feel like we could go on forever. Maybe we do a breakout session after we watch Modern Times and come back to this. <laughs> Make sure we're not just blowing smoke since only you've seen it. <laughs> it it's it, it'll it'll be worthwhile. Uh, we need to do a reading. Well, we need to send him a group. I know, I know. We've got a lot hey, of need. Jack, you need to stop saying he's the only one that's seen it. You know, I, I, some of us just have bad memories. Oh, okay. I take that back then. I, I, I since most like... of us haven't seen it. <laughs> I've watched it twice since COVID. Like, I really love Chaplin. Really love Chaplin. And you won't, you won't want to know why. It's because of Shazak. Because uh, every time I reread one of his books, he always brings up fucking Chaplin. Always. Yeah, no Chaplin. So, you know, it is not what Chaplin is doing, but what he is into. Yeah, exactly. What were you saying, Unity? I was saying, yeah, I teach um, Chaplin. I show that to my high school students every year when I teach Industrial Revolution. I show them modern times. It's good. It's so good. Uh, 
And now I'm reading it in a complete, now I'm seeing it in a different light. And I like that. It's a really interesting and I don't know, but apparently obvious. It should have been obvious to me now that I'm seeing it, but that's fine. Uh, I will continue to read. Destructive task. Schizoanalysis must proceed as quickly as possible, but it can also only it can also proceed only with great patience, great care, by successively undoing the representative territorialities and re-territorializations through which a subject passes in his individual history. For there are several layers, several planes of resistance that come from within or are imposed from without. Schizophrenia as a process, deterritorialization as a process, is inseparable from the stases that interrupt it or aggravate it or make it turn in circles and re-territorialize it into neuroses, perversion, and psychosis to a point where the process cannot extricate itself, continue on, and reach fulfillment except insofar as it is capable of creating. What exactly? A new land. In each case, we must go back by way of old land, study their nature, their density. We must seek to discover how the machinic indices are grouped to, on each of these lands that permit going beyond them. Can we reconquer each time, constantly resuming the journey on these lands? Oedipal, familial lands of neurosis, artificial land version, clinical lands of psychosis. In search of lost time, as a great enterprise of schizoanalysis, all the planes are traversed until the molecular line of escape is reached. Their schizophrenic breakthrough, thus in the kiss where Albertine's face jumps from one plane of consistency to another, and another to finally come undone in a nebula of molecules. The reader always risks stopping at a given plane and saying yes. That is where Proust is explaining himself. But the narrator spider never ceases undoing webs and planes, resuming the journey, watching for the signs or the indices that operate like machines and that will cause him to go further. This very movement is humor, black humor. Oh, the narrator does not homestead in the familial and neurotic lands of Oedipus, there where the global and personal connections are established. He does not remain there. He crosses these lands. He desecrates them. He penetrates them. He liquidates even his grandmother with the machine for tying shoes. Is there no paragraph break here, by the way? Nope. Jesus. The perverse lands of homosexuality, where the exclusive disjunctions of women with women and men with men are established, likewise break apart in terms of the machinic indices that undermine them. The psychotic earths with their conjunctions in place, Trollus is therefore surely mad, and Albertine too, perhaps, are traversed in their turn to a point where the problem is no longer posed, no longer posed in this way. The narrator continues his own affair until he reaches the unknown country, his own, the unknown land, which alone is created by his own work in progress, the search of lost time in progress, functioning as a desiring machine capable of collecting and dealing with all the indices. He goes towards these new regions where the connections are always partial and non-personal, the conjunctions nomadic and polyvocal, the disjunctions included, where homosexuality and heterosexuality cannot be distinguished any longer. The world of transverse communications, where the finally conquered non-human sex mingles with the flowers. A new earth where desire functions according to its molecular elements and flows. Such a voyage does not necessarily imply great movements and extension. It becomes immobile, 
in a room and on a body without organs, an intensive voyage that undoes all the lands for the benefit of the one it is creating. It feels like it should be read at a beat poetry thing. Yeah, I, I, it's not so much of a joke. That's a really beautiful way of, I, as someone who's not read a lot of Proust, uh, and they've referenced enough of at this point that I'm not going to do, um, I understood what they're talking about, I think. Um, let's start at the top. Oh, this was a very long paragraph. Um, I was assuming I missed a break at the very end of it. Um, where do we want to start? Does anyone want to start, jump in? Sure. So the, the topic sentence seems um, simple enough. So schizoanalysis proceeds with um, <laughs> great patience by succinctly undoing the representative territorialities and re-territorializations through which a subject passes in his individual's history. So we're going to be talking about how schizoanalysis, uh, and this is their point about destroying, right? Destroys um, and attacks these these representation these representative reterritorializations and territorialities. Molar investments is is exactly. molar investments fair? Is that a fair way to say it? Because I want to make sure I'm grasping this as we go. But they're talking about basically schizoanalysis being aimed squarely at molar investments these these representations that are created at that level. Yeah, the representations exist in connection with those molar investments. But schizoanalysis wouldn't be about molar investments. Molar investments are about representation, but schizoanalysis would be about the machines. Micro But at the same time, how the, how the molar investments are influencing uh, the, 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 the framing of the molecular as well. Yeah, I think they said earlier where it's like, it's sort of the akin to like looking for barriers and basically overturning them. So like looking for triangles and cutting open the triangle. So one of the things they talk about is Proust's style of writing. And um, I've not read a lot of Proust, but I know we when we talked about it earlier, uh, I can't remember if it was Martini or Muskie. Someone, uh, very Proust-heavy fans we have somewhere, um, talked through, and I, we read some light bits. When they're talking, uh, and I want to read through the moment, um, the narrator spider never ceases undoing webs and planes, resuming the journey, watching for the signs or the indices that operate like machines and that will cause him to go on further. Uh, this moment of sort of continually pushing through what is supposedly the explanation and then destroying the explanation and continuing to move on. This very movement is humor, black humor. Uh, they then go on to say he doesn't stay in the familial neurotic lands of Oedipus. Uh, he crosses them, desecrates them, penetrates them, liquidates even the grandmother with tying shoes. Uh, the Another way of saying this maybe could be he does away with the concept of the sacred and destroys all of those representations. I think that's getting at it. I mean, I even think back to like the Beckett thing where this seems to be the differentiation where like it is a question of like does Beckett go, does Beckett accomplish this or does he kind of end up 
where he tried to get away from. But at least with Proust, I think I think you're right to say Deleuze and Guattari see Proust and this narrator as um as something of like a schizoanalytic literature or something at least com- uh, comparable there. So they write, schizophrenia as a process, deterritorialization as a process, is inseparable from the stases that interrupt it or aggravate it or make it turn in circles and re-territorialize it into neuroses, perversion, and psychosis to a point where the process cannot extricate itself, continue on, and reach fulfillment except insofar as it is capable of creating what exactly a new land so like with the destruction comes a um a cre- uh not a destruction a creativity right uh say that one more time for me jack sorry sure so with, with the schizoanalytic destruction right with them cutting through this um the representations yes. and moving into these connections right uh pushing through the barriers as it were right with that comes connections and with that comes creativity or a creative force i, I yes so i i think um a lot of what they're implying is that um desire uh because it basically uh the desiring machines the libido pushes out lives inside of on the edge of representation right on the edge of the body without organs. Uh, those representations are things created in the social field. There are investments, our molar investments. As we destroy those and we break those down, we push through them. And it's a thing that probably happens at the same time. Again, they talk about this, that deterritorialization and reterritorialization happens one at the same time. Schizoanalysis effectively is that process being pushed outwards and breaking through those is how I see what they're talking about here. Yeah, I think so. I think that helps explain what they're talking about with schizophrenic laughter, like with the Chaplin movie, the way it just kind of, like with the dancing, right? The way it cuts through dancing and then. Well, and it's to to say specifically, uh, he goes towards these new regions where the connections are always partial and non-personal, conjunctions nomadic and polyvocal, disjunctions included. Uh, That idea the the word I want to touch on here, the two, is partial and non-personal. Um, that would almost be a, uh, a short circuit of sorts, where we're talking about making connections or having uh, things that sort of touch into stuff that is unrelated, almost wholly, as far as I'm willing to understand from my subjective standpoint, from my, as an independent person. Uh, these things are not connected, not set up. It's that's the goal is to make these nomadic conjunctions that push into the next thing. And that's where it's the difference. That's the difference for schizoanalysis is when it's moving into non-personal and partial connections. Yeah. Because like if you were attacking this at the standpoint of which representation do I choose, right? Do I choose good or evil? So to speak, right? This is like Nietzsche's point about getting beyond good and evil right and actually doing something or like where they say to, to expand on your point the disjunctions included where homosexuality and heterosexuality cannot be distinguished any longer the world of traverse communications where the finally conquered non-human sets mingles with the flowers right it's, it's basically what they're getting at i think is that um schizoanalysis analysis isn't playing a game of like choice a choice b representation one representation two or by extension, the larger representation. Could I read the next paragraph? Please, that would be give me a nice break. I just want to feel like I'm participating. <laughs> um, 
we're on the patient resumption. Is that right? Um, the patient resumption of the process, or on the contrary, its interruption. The two are so closely interrelated that they can only be evaluated each with How would the schizo's voyage be possible independent of certain circuits? How could it exist without a land? But inversely, how can we be certain that these circuits don't reconstitute the lands, only too well known of the asylum, the artifice, or the family? We always return to the same question. From what does the schizo suffer, he whose sufferings are unspeakable? Does he suffer from the process itself, or rather from its interruptions, when he is neuroticized in the family, in the land of Oedipus, when the one who does not allow himself to be Oedipalized is psychoticized in the land of the asylum, when the one who escapes the family and the asylum is perverted in the artificial locales? Perhaps there is only one illness, neurosis, the Oedipal decay against which all the pathogenic interruptions of the process should be measured. Most of the modern endeavors, outpatient centers, inpatient hospitals, social clubs for the sick, family care, institutions, and even anti-psychiatry, remain threatened by a common danger, a danger which Jean Ory has been able to analyze in depth. How does one avoid the institutions reforming an asylum structure, or constituting perverse and reformist artificial societies, or residual paternalistic or mothering pseudo-families? We do not have in mind the so-called community psychiatry endeavors, whose admitted purpose is to triangulate, to oedipalize everyone, people, animals, and things, to a point where we will witness a new race of sick people implore by reaction that they be given back an asylum or a little Beckettian land, a garbage can, so they can become catatonic in a corner. But in a less openly repressive manner, who says that the family is a good place, a good circuit for the deterritorialized schizo? Such a thing would be very surprising, to say the least. The therapeutic potentialities of the familial surroundings surroundings. The whole town, then? The whole neighborhood? What molar unit will constitute a sufficiently nomadic circuit? How does one prevent the unit chosen, even if a specific institution, from constituting a perverted society of tolerance, a mutual aid society that hides the real problems? Will the structure of the institution save it? But how will the structure break its relationship with neuroticizing, perverting, psychoticizing castration? How will this structure produce anything but a subjugated group? How will it give free play to the process when its entire molar organization has the function of binding the molecular process? Even antipsychiatry, especially sensitive to the schizophrenic breakthrough and the intense voyage, tires out and proposes the image of a subject group that will become immediately re-perverted, with former schizos guiding the most recent ones and, as relays, little chapels, or better yet, a convent in Ceylon. It feels like a lot of this was actually just fairly clearly spoken and read through. Uh, if there's any questions, now would be the time to bring them up. I'm not necessarily having them myself. What's interesting there is um, for the idea of anti-psychiatry, since they partake in it heavily, and they're even um, uh, criticizing the possible wrong ends of their own project. In the sense that the the risk of them, even if they're trying to deteriorate, they run the risk of applying their ontology to uh, the new territory that they're trying to set. So see, like it's it's really interesting how reflexive and introspective this is, because it says we're trying to give an alternative to uh, the psychiatric treatment and the model of the asylum by you know having anti-psychiatry and all the technologies and modalities that it uh, encompasses. 
but at the same time, there's always this risk of returning or creating a, a form that will reproduce uh, the previous representation into or from the asylum. Anyone else? Because I think that sums it up nicely. Um, and I would also agree with Alyosha that they're pushing uh, destructuring the sort of hierarchy, a little bit of the anarchism side of things for sure. Yeah, they talk about uh, permanent revolution later. Thank you, Bo. Yes, we might we might make it. We might make it. So let's let's stop on this one and continue. All right, I think we can get through the rest of this book, the rest of this section. Even thank God. The only thing that can save us from these impasses is an effective politicization of psychiatry. And doubtless, with Artie Lang and David Cooper, anti-psychiatrists went very far in this direction. But it seems to us they still conceive of this politicization in terms of the structure and the event, rather than the process itself. Furthermore, they localize social and mental alienation on a single line. Furthermore, they localize social and mental alienation on a single line and tend to consider them as identical by showing how the familial agent extends the one into the other. Between the two, however, the relationship is rather that of an included disjunction. This is because the decoding and the deterritorialization of flows define the very process of capitalism, that is, its essence, its tendency, and its external limit. But we know that the process is continually interrupted or the tendency counteracted, or the limit displaced, by subjective re-territorializations and representations that operate as much at the level of capital as a subject, the axiomatic, as at the level of the person serving as capital's agents, the application of the axiomatic. But we seek in vain to assign social alienation and mental alienation to one side or the other, as long as we establish a relation of exclusion between the two. The deterritorialization of flows in general effectively merges with mental alienization inasmuch as it includes the re-territorializations that permit it to subsist only as the state of a particular flow, a flow of madness that is defined thus because it is charged with representing whatever escapes the axiomatics and the applications of re-territorializations in other flows. Inversely, one can find the form of social alienation in action in all of the re-territorializations of capitalism and as much as they keep the flows from escaping the system and maintain labor in the axiomatic framework of property and desire in the applied framework of the family. But this social alienation includes in its turn mental alienation, which finds itself represented or re-territorialized in neurosis, perversion, and psychosis, the mental illnesses. Um, short version, uh, we, we sit in a place where we have not understood that the sort of nature of how we exist in our socius uh, affects psychiatry, affects these things, and that actually we have these places between uh, the family and the society. And the reality is the two and how they work together and how representations created amongst them and how they play within each other is what causes these mental illnesses and these things to sort of flow. Is that a short summation, Roger? Mm-hmm. Anyone have any questions? A true politics of psychiatry or anti-psychiatry would consist therefore in the following praxis. Yay, finally. Okay. One, undoing all the re-territorializations that transform madness into mental illness. 
Two, liberating the schizoid movement of deterritorialization in all the flows in such a way that this characteristic can no longer qualify a particular residue as a flow of madness, but affects just as well the flows of labor and desire, of production, knowledge, creation in their most profound tendency. We will come back to this. Here, madness would no longer exist as madness, not because it would have been transformed into mental illness, but on the contrary, because it would receive the support of all the other flows, including science and art. Once it is said that madness is called madness and appears as such only because it is deprived of the support and finds itself reduced to testifying all alone for deterritorialization as a universal process. It is merely its unwarranted privilege, a privilege beyond its capacities, that renders it mad. In this perspective, Foucault announced an age when madness would disappear, not because it would be lodged within the controlled space of mental illness, the great tepid aquariums, but on the contrary, because the external limit designated by madness would be over of other flows escaping control on all sides and carrying us along. To quote the footnote from Michel Foucault, everything that we experience today in the mode of the limit or of strangeness or of unbearable will have joined again with the serenity of the positive. Uh, that is such a good fucking line. God, I love some good Foucault. His books kind of suck. I, to me, I'm not a fan of his overall writing, but man, when he writes good, he writes so fucking good. It's not, they're not for me. Yeah, you shut up. You shut up. You're not even talking. You're muted. I'll mute you. Give me shit about my comments in chat. Uh, so, readable, the bonds. Say again. Foucault is like the only readable of the bonds. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I don't know. I, I like. Eh, I, it was a flippant comment, mostly to really upset Alyosha. <laughs> but uh, there's another interesting um, thing uh, in there because this. Um, this tendency in Foucault to look for this accessible outside of representation, maybe, um, don't know, uh, this accessible outside, like this this point outside of power, because that's kind of what's happening there, right? Uh, you have this tendency in Foucault sometimes, and in, in methods and civilization, I think it's um, m most present, um, that he's actually dreaming of this place outside power that can be achieved. And that's kind of what they are getting at here. And that's exactly um, where um, he, he later gets really problematic with um, Herculin. Um, that's the, the, the part where, where uh, Judith Butler needs to read Foucault against Foucault. I've talked to, I think, Julia about that. Uh, in the Foucault ongoing chat. Um, yeah, maybe we can connect that later because uh, because this this um, positing um, an accessible outside power or representation comes with a bunch of problems. Um, it does. Uh, let's. I, I'd like. I do not think we have time to get into a discussion on Foucault right now and a lot of the issues that may exist. But I want to go back to the things that I think the most important stuff, which is praxis. And they actually outlined some, finally. 
Um, undoing re-territorializations that transform madness into mental illness, and liberating schizoid movement into deterritorializations in such a way that this can no longer qualify a particular residue as a flow of madness, but affects just as well flows of labor, desire, etc. Um, and moving schizoid sort of uh, nomadology of mm. thought to other things. Yeah, so just, just on this, you know, I, I won't go at length, but um, true politics of psychiatry. It could be in any other field. For example, my dissertation on disability, I follow people on the street going around, you know, trying to analyze their mobility. I never see them as disabled. I never see disability. I see people going around doing stuff, being affected and affecting stuff. You know, this is how you know, the praxis should be done. It's never starting with a representation and trying to find, you know, the expression of this representation into fieldwork, a terrain, whatever else. It's actually get rid of, you know, the pathologies, the negative elements, and see how things are connecting themselves. And again, I want to, because I, I know there was a, a bread tuber who recently said he wants a, to lose once and all to be schizophrenic. No, no, he does not. Uh, very much they specifically say that no, mental illness is not going to go away and madness will have not transformed into it. But the reality is that this madness would be supported by all the other flows. The, the way that the schizoid, the, the, the connections are made to them, how we make connections that are non-personal, they actually outline how that works uh, in the previous paragraph. And I really like the non-personal uh, line. Um, those, those are how we need to be thinking about things. And it's not just in psychiatry, but in art, in development, in writing, in software, in weather watching, whatever it may be. I really like that. Uh, I'm going to read the last paragraph now. Uh, it should therefore be said that one can never go far enough in the direction of deterritorialization. You haven't seen anything yet, an irreversible process. When we consider what there is of a profoundly artificial nature in the perverted re-territorializations, but also in the psychotic re-territorializations of the hospital or even the familial neurotic re-territorializations, we cry out, more perversion, more artifice, to a point where the earth becomes so artificial that the movement of deterritorialization creates of necessity and by itself a new earth. Psychoanalysis is especially satisfying in this regard. Its entire perverted practice of the cure consists in transforming familial neurosis into artificial neurosis of transference. In an exalting the couch, a little island with its commander, the psychoanalyst as an autonomous territoriality of ultimate artifice. A little additional effort is enough. A little additional effort is enough to overturn everything and to lead us finally towards other far-off places. The schizoanalytic flick of the finger, which restarts the movement, links up again with the tendency and pushes the simulacra to a point where they cease being artificial images to become indices of the new world. That is what the completion of the process is, not a promised and a pre-existing land, but a world created in the process of its tendency, its coming undone, its deterritorialization. The movement of the theater of cruelty, for it is 
the only theater of production, there where the flows cross the threshold of deterritorialization and produce the new land. Not at all a hope, but a simple finding, a finished design, where the person who escapes causes other escapes and marks out the land while deterritorializing himself. An active point of escape where the revolutionary machine, the artistic machine, the scientific machine, and the schizoanalytic machine become parts and pieces of one another. We're going to reread, I'm going to reread this entire thing. We're going to do a watching of modern times because uh, that line at the very end there is, I think, how I actually always took the ending of modern times. Um, escape, his movement causes others to escape. That's what it is. It's him pulling us with him to those moments where we're able to see that. And French and English, uh, point de fuite and uh, line of flight would, like flight would be fuite, not escape. So it's like, uh, you probably mean two things there, but it's, it's, it's uh, close to a line of flight also. Line of flight is then close. So I didn't know line of flight was close to escapes that close. Because fuit um, in French, you know, uh, can be understood as escape, but also uh, it can be understood as flight, depending on the context of usage. Right. No, like because taking be, because, flight. Yeah, because point de fuit or ligne de fuit and a point of escape or point of flight line of flight oh that's what i'm saying is in, in english as well uh it just hasn't been used that way commonly but the idea of i'm um, flying versus uh taking a flight versus uh taking flight which tends to mean escaping or running away oh okay um so it's there's some level of that and that, that's interesting good to know as well Shit. all right Uh, I am going to end us there. We're at 206. It's been two solid hours. We've got eight hours of this fucking thing done. Um, I am going to want to set up a real review uh, sometime probably this week. Uh, so I, rather than next week, next week I want to move on to the next section because we start getting into praxis and I need to do it. So I'd like to finish this and be able to do this and we will talk through how to do that. But for now, thank all of you for coming. Thank you for listening to us. Drop us a note. Join our Discord. Our Twitter handle uh, is... Uh, what is our Twitter handle? Uh, I should know these things off the top of my head. Uh, D and G Q C. Uh, you can find everything there. You can find our Spotify, our SoundCloud, our Discord, our Patreon, everything. Say hi. Um, really fucking good reading, though. Goddamn.